0: You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Isaiah is often referred to as the gospel of the Old Testament. Even though Jesus is never explicitly named in the text, He's all over the text when he talks about a suffering servant, when he talks about a servant that's there to restore, to redeem, to give hope, to heal. And his ministry begins and he calls all the marginalized into that ministry too. And so it's a, it's a new breaking in. There are places on the earth where kingdoms really do bow down to the king and they seek to follow the suffering servant. And when that happens, the, the goodness of God is, is manifest in unique ways. So the question is, which kingdom are you going to follow? Which and, government are you going to follow? Uh-huh. Which king are you going to follow? Who's your God? His work isn't done, and yet we don't have to wait for his work to happen. It's happening. Always loved Christmas as a child. Uh, I, I loved everything about it. And uh, being a twin, my brother and I probably got more attention than we deserved. I loved the presents. I loved the tree. I remember those old little silver trees we had for a while with floodlights. Anybody remember? Remember those and uh, the sledding, the snowball fights, uh, meeting at grandma's house, hanging out with the cousins, uh, the Christmas programs, dressing up. As a shepherd in adult bathrobes was fun. Always aspired to be Joseph, never quite was billed that high in the program. Uh, Mother's Christmas whipped cream pie was a highlight of Christmas for me. What I would give for one more slice of mom's pie. No one can make it like mom. I loved Christmas as a child. Now I wanna to confess to you that through adult eyes, I, I don't always love Christmas quite as much. And. Uh, when Susan and I were raising the kids and they were young, I began to see that some of the things I took for granted, or things that I thought were automatic as a child, was on the parents. And so uh, the traveling, the pressure, the expectations as a young pastor, as well as getting to and fro up to Iowa, North Missouri, wherever we were located, and all the financial pressure of having to buy and give these gifts and overextending, um, I've also come to dislike Sometimes what Christmas does to people's spirits, uh, the pain that gets elevated in people's lives, uh, the people that are missing in our life, everything that is good in our life, we feel very strongly in Christmas. And yet, everything that's not so good, we also feel most keenly at, at Christmas. So this, this morning... Um, I don't know whether this Christmas, 2018, looks like for you to be a time of great merriment or a time that's rather depressing. But whatever you're feeling, I hope you know that's legitimate. And we don't have to do or put undue pressure on ourselves to make Christmas merry. And yet there is a message. There is a message about Christmas that, that we want to remember, that, that we want to address, that we want to be open to. And, and if I was to give you any sage advice, and that word sage is a real stretch, I know, it, it would be feel free this Christmas to say less and to say more. to to say less to the things that put undue pressure on you, not to overextend yourself, Uh, not to overextend your bank account, not to overextend expectations on yourself or others about traveling. You know, our family, our extended family, was all together for Thanksgiving for the first time in three years. It was wonderful, but we're not going to be all together at Christmas, and we're okay with that. Say less to toxic charity. Don't give gifts out of, to assuage your guilt in helping people that you don't know, to organizations that you don't know about. But I'd encourage you to say more. To say more in, in, in giving and gift giving to family and friends of memories, uh, of special made items, of a phone call, of a note that can make all the difference in the world, to say more to giving to organizations and particularly to people that you are journeying with, that's going to help them not just at Christmas, but throughout the year. And to say more to uh, an opportunity to do some spiritual inventory, to take some time with God, not just in our public worship on Sundays, but in our private worship as well. Think about it. What do you want to say less to that drains you, that exasperates you, and what do you want to say more to that helps you to know that He is Emmanuel, God with us. In the video that we just saw, the bumper video, we are spending time this year during this Advent and Christmas season with the book of Isaiah. And I want to encourage you right now, if you don't have your Bible with you, to pick up the one in the pew rack in front of you. And uh, I want to, just want you to feel the Bible here a little bit, okay? And you, if you want to turn to Isaiah... It's kind of in the middle of the book, kind of the middle of the Bible. And what, I, what I'm doing here is I'm, I want to encourage you to consider reading one chapter of Isaiah every day, beginning today through the end of the year and beginning with chapter 40 of Isaiah. And if you are using the Pew Bible, it's on page 667, so that's easy enough. But in In Isaiah, you have a prophet in the 8th century before Jesus who does not explicitly name the name of Jesus and yet gives us glimpses of this one that is to come. And sometimes it's almost like he gives us this vivid, full, amazing gaze At this Jesus that that came eight centuries later from Isaiah's time. And the first 39 chapters of Isaiah that we're not reading has to do with a lot of folks, Israel, people of God, you've messed up. You've kind of forgotten about me. And you're, you're going to go into exile. And, and this is what happened to the people of Israel. They, the Babylonians came and carried them away. And so there's a big transition from chapter 39 to 40 is what I'm trying to say here. And, and I want to say something that may be a little bit difficult for us to hear. Because it was difficult for the people of God to hear back then, eight centuries before Jesus. You know, we're tempted to think that God is always going to spare us of the consequences of our own actions. And just because they were the people of God, they just felt like that God wasn't going to make them pay for their sins. It's kind of like helicopter parents today. We're going to kind of come in and hover in and take care of things for our kids. But it doesn't work that way. Always, does it? Or God's going to be a snowplow parent. He's going to snowplow the pathway in front of us, and we're never going to have to go through something deep or hard or difficult. So the people of Isaiah's day was very much like the people of our day. And they just couldn't believe that God was going to have them face the moral consequences of their actions. Now, what are you going to do if you're God? I mean, really. What do you do to children that are just continuously disobedient or defiant? What do you do if your God and your unfaithful spouse, the people of God, have gone after other lovers? Do you just allow that to continue to happen and not pretend there's not consequences? Um, what do you do when people ignore you, or people say things to you, or people are harsh to you, and you're God? Do you always just spare your children of the consequences? Is that really a loving thing to do? And you know, the prophet Isaiah says no. But in chapter 40, after all this has happened, um, there's these amazing words of comfort. I want to just read verses 1 and 2 for you, with you. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. Comfort, yes. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her. For her warfare is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So double for all your sins. They've had it they've paid a big price. They've paid some consequences for their actions. And you know not only the part in terms of paying consequences for our actions but we lose this intimacy with God. One of the things about Christmas I think that's hard for us is that Maybe we just don't remember a time when Christmas was special, but we also remember a time when God was more close than He is right now. And I think sometimes what happens—am I having microphone problems, or is this me? Let we just do this? All right, God. Uh... God wants to do something to restore us into close communion with Him. And that's the message of Isaiah. You've messed up, you've blown it, you've gone after other lovers, you've seeked other idols, you've been caught up in your greed and your materialism, you've, you've, you've done some immoral things. And, if, you know, if I was God and I might have just said, you made your bed, now lie in it. That might have been my attitude. But that's not God's attitude. See, the amazing good news is that while God is a God of truth, God is also a God of grace. If someone had mistreated you a lot in your life, maybe they have, maybe they've done something that was. Uh, against the law, or maybe someone actually went to prison or jail. Let's just imagine this because of what they did for you. And they're getting out of jail, and then God says, "Uh, you know, I want you now to go and speak to that person. What would you say to them? Well, what God says is a word of comforts. Comforts. I want you to comfort my people. Comfort ye, comfort my people. Come. And comfort means encouragement. Comfort means a saving kind of a help, a presence. And this God comes to us in unexpected ways. And when we have messed up and we're able to acknowledge this and we're doing spiritual inventory in our life, God does some restoration and some redeeming. That gives us new hope, a new vitality. And so you see, Christmas is a time to pay attention to the alienation that we may be feeling toward God, and the alienation that God may be feeling toward us. I personally think we can sing the carols too soon. We need to feel the yearning. We need to understand that Advent is the first month of the new year, and it's a preparation for the coming of Jesus. And we're called to do the hard work of looking into our own spirits and our own hearts and recognize that there are crooked places and there are uneven places in me that God wants to smooth out And make right. So as you read the 40th chapter of Isaiah today, I hope that you just let those those words of prose and poetry speak deeply into your heart. It's not designed for speed reading. It's designed for people who will sit with the Word of God and shape and form us and make us new. And I love the words of verses 10 and 11 where the Scripture says, Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and His arm shall rule for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His work before Him. He will feed His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with His arm and carry them in His bosom, and gently lead those who are with young." Did you notice in those two verses, the arm of the Lord is strong and God will gently hold us as lambs near his bosom. We need the strength of the Lord and we need the gentleness of the Lord. How many of you are familiar with Psalm 23? I suspect most of you are. The most familiar psalm. Do you remember what verse 4 says? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your, what? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice that the shepherd of the Lord, the Lord who is our shepherd, has a rod and he has a staff. That we need God's strength to ward off evil and to fight off those things that are doing destruction and evil in our life. We need the strong arm of the Lord. And the staff is used to gently guide the sheep. I need a God who's strong, the Lion of Judah. And I need the gentleness of a lamb. And I need a shepherd who, like a mother, will hold the little sheep, close to her heart and lead those that are young. Do you see the beauty of the good news of Jesus? We don't need a milquetoast Jesus, and we don't need a harsh Jesus. We need a Jesus. We need a God. We need a shepherd. We need a presence who will be strong. And gentle at the same time now I'm running out of time but we're going to look at the final verses of that 40th chapter hear the invitation have you not known have you not heard The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I want to tell you this morning, lately, I have just felt weaker than I normally do. I was talking to someone about my age about that. She said, well, just buck up. It's going to get worse. (laughs) I felt more faint than I normally do. I felt more dull-witted than normal. And so to me, it is incredible good news that this God of Isaiah, this God of Jesus, this God that we have in our life is the creator, that he is everlasting, that his understanding is beyond comprehension and then some. And this God does not ever get weary. He never gets tired. And so sometimes, friends, all I got to do is wait. That's the invitation, wait. And you know what wait means in the Old Testament usually? It doesn't mean just sitting around, waiting, hoping something's going to happen. It doesn't mean doing nothing. It means with a sense of trust with a conviction of anticipation. It's moving forward. It's doing things. But it's not getting ahead of God. And it's not getting behind God. And it's not taking things in our own strength or our own capacities. It's waiting on God in such a way that when we do that, sometimes we walk And sometimes we run, and there's even some times we can soar. This is good news. Because it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It doesn't matter how frail you are or how strong you are. In fact, the way I read the Scripture, it's an advantage to know that you are weak. and it's amazing, comforting words to those of us who are willing to take some spiritual inventory in our life and wait on this Jesus who is here among us. What does, it, what does waiting on the Lord look like for you? This Christmas? What's it going to look like for you? What do you want to say less to? What do you want to say more to?